Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, guys, so excited to spend some time with you today as we are entering into the final stages of our series called Exhibiting God's Glory. This has really have been a very exciting series for me to dive into and delve deeper into this meaning of God's purpose with our life to exhibit His glory. And we've been journeying together over the past three weeks where we've looked at what does it mean to exhibit God's glory. And we've said that God's glory is not just a little attribute about Himself, but it's actually embodying everything about who He is. And that we were created to carry a piece of His glory. We've given up that glory when we sinned, And we've been trying to compensate for that glory, that weight, that heaviness, that doxa, that kabot. We've been trying to add up to the scale to kind of try and measure up to what God created us to be with all of our good works. However, all of that has been in vain, seeing that the Bible says our good works measure up to only be filthy rags. Could never do that. And then we looked at God doing the unthinkable because he's so passionate about his glory. He's willing to suffer for his glory. And he did the one thing that we could never think of. He emptied himself of glory so that we could be declared righteous. As Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. And then we looked at what does it mean to exhibit the glory of God. Now that we have been restored in Jesus Christ through righteousness and that we can be one of the heavy ones and we can rule and reign over his creation, what does it look like when we exhibit his glory? And we said that God exhibits his glory when he displays his holiness, when he displays the fact that he's different. And because we are in Christ, we are different. We are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we exhibit that to this world. And we talked about what does that look like? Jesus giving us some clues in Matthew when he says we are called to be the salt and the light. This is the way we ought to live. This is how we communicate God's glory. And then last week, we dived into a little verse that gives us tools on exhibiting the glory of God. And that's the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. A very famous portion of scripture. It's actually the portion of love. This is probably the piece of scripture that's read most at all of the weddings around the world. And we looked at the right at the very last verse where Paul sums up the importance of three things that I believe, and we looked at and the Bible shows us, that is present within someone that exhibits the glory of God. I'm going to read it to you quickly. It will be on the screen as well. It says the following, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now in this verse, we get the three tools that we are equipped with to exhibit God's glory, and that is faith, love, and hope. Last week, we talked a little bit about faith and how the glory of God ignites faith in our hearts. When we see his glory on display, suddenly it puts trust and an utter dependence and reliance on Jesus Christ in our hearts. And we place our trust and our hope and our faith in him. So we've looked at that a little bit. And then this week, we're going to be looking at this idea of love. 
And that God says, of all three of these tools, the greatest of them is love. That we have received love. And to exhibit His glory, we have this tool called love. Now, love is a bit of old news. I mean, what Paul is talking about here is actually, when you've read the Bible, you'll know it's a little bit old news, this. When we go back to Leviticus, you'll see there's been written already that we are to love our neighbor as yourself. And that's actually the summary of the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus quotes that. He actually just refers back to that. When he's asked what's the greatest command, he just says, well, to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul repeats that as well in Romans. He says the following, Romans 13 verse 8, he says, no, may, no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Paul is saying we're always called to love one another. And then he goes on. He says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. There he says love is the one thing that brings together the law. He actually goes on to explain. He says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love does not harm your neighbor. So therefore, love fulfills the law. Now, as I've said, this is old news, and we've been re-clicking on this, and Jesus has been speaking, and Paul has been speaking, and his disciples has been going out and loving. But why is this then so important? Even though it's old news, it's clearly very important to know that we are called to love, and that love brings God's picture for what we are to do together. I think in 1 John, we find and we discover the fullness of this. I quickly want to read it to you. John speaking. 1 John, verse 4, uh, uh, chapter 4, sorry, verse 7 to 8. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And he knows God. And then in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. This is why this tool that we're going to be expanding a little bit on today is so important. You see, if we say that God's glory is not just an attribute of God, but it's everything of who He is. When we look at His glory, the thing that points out that God is different, it's Him. This is God. It's everything He entails. And if God is also love, that must mean that the best way to give expression, to exhibit the glory of God, would be to love. There is just no better way to show the world who God is, point them to His glory, than to love your neighbor and love God, than to love. Love is the ultimate expression of God's glory in this world out there. And that's what we're going to be diving into. And I hope you're getting excited about this. There have been so many songs written about love and people communicate so much about love. And we all long to love and be loved in return. However, in this world, I can also say the following. I can say, I love pizza, but I also love my wife. <laughs> and that clearly brings us into a little short kind of a distinction 
and a little bit of a conflict moment because my wife won't be too happy if I tell her I love her as I love pizza, if you get what I'm saying. So clearly, we need to discover and allow God to guide us on his picture of love. What does it mean to love like God loves? What does it mean to exhibit his glory in the way we love? And to discover this, for the rest of our time together today, we're going to dive into a story that is in Mark chapter 6, a story that's very close to the heart of us as a family in, in Doxodeo. And we're going to look at how Jesus is busy teaching his disciples to move from a view that they had about love to his view of what he has about love. Now, just to quickly recap the story for you guys, this is the moment where Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. And the story, the story starts in Mark chapter 6, verses 34, and you can go and read it yourself as well and spend some time in this portion of Scripture. But basically, Jesus is surrounded by a big crowd, and he, and he starts teaching them, and he starts reaching and ministering out um, towards them. And then, as the day goes on, the disciples realize that it's getting a little bit late, and we're busy running into a bit of a problem here. And the problem is this. We have too many people, too little food. So they come to Jesus with a concern on their hearts, and they mention to him, Jesus, um, it's getting later in the day, and obviously these people will have to eat, and we'll probably have to send them home now. I think, let's send them home that they can get some food and get sorted for the night, and everything is great and shop and okay. And um, then I think the disciples heard something from Jesus that they did not at all expect. Jesus looked them straight in the eye, and he said, well, if the people are hungry... Why don't you guys give them food to eat? You can imagine the moment. <laughs> the disciples are like, Jesus, am I hearing you right? Um, especially some of the guys that are a little bit more calculated, I think, would be like, Jesus, can't you make the math? Just check the math out. This will not work. Where are we going to get the food? How Do you think, almost like in an arrogant way, they address Jesus and like, Jesus, do you think we need to get money? Um, you know how much money this will be? It's, this is not a possibility. It's an impossibility. We don't have the capacity to provide. To which Jesus says, well, what do you have? What do you have available? And then they bring him two fishes and five loaves. And we know the rest of the story is where Jesus prays and he thanks God for this provision. He breaks the bread, dishes it out, gives it to his disciples, and 5,000 men, the Bible tells us. There might have been more women and children. Most experts say that. God fed that day. They got filled. And in fact, so much was multiplied that at the end, when everybody had something to eat, there were still 12 baskets full of food left. Wow. What a miracle. I can imagine being there that day. Must have been an experience to see this happen. Now, in this story, as you can clearly hear, there is some tension happening between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus' view versus the disciples' view and how they'd like to address what's happening in this moment and how Jesus would ultimately come and address the problem. And we're going to discover three moves that he's making. Now, I'm going to not mention them to you as I always do, so we're going to walk through them together. And the first move that I want to bring your attention to is that Jesus moves his disciples' hearts from just being concerned to being compassionate. You see, when we love like God loves, we're not just concerned 
about the problems in this world. And this is exactly where we see the disciples. I mean, they come to Jesus. They come and explain the problem. They're immediately convinced about this situation. They know what's wrong with the world and what's wrong in this situation. Isn't that so true for us? That we find ourselves so quickly in that space? So many times, you know how many times I've spoken to people on a daily basis, really concerned about the state of this nation, about the state of this country, about the state of their workspace, of their life, all very concerned, can define the problems clearly, can speak about them quite a lot. Yet, there is no compassion. And that's exactly what Jesus is challenging his disciples to do. To move to a place where they would shift from just seeing the problem. There's, there's a lot of people. We don't have food. We need to send them home versus having compassion on the people. I love it so much in the beginning of this story. We read Mark chapter 6, verse 34. It says the following. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's the difference between concern and compassion? Well, the word compassion literally means to be willing to suffer for something. It comes from the word passion. It's a willingness to suffer for something that you love. If you think about it, if you love rugby or if you love soccer or whatever it may be, you are willing to suffer, to put in hours and effort to practice and to make sure that you get better and better and better in this world with whatever you consume yourself with and what you're compassionate about. Now, in the same way, Jesus had compassion on people. And I find it really interesting because he has, he's giving us a clue in this portion of Scripture as to why. You see, he says, he looked at the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you, if you know a shepherd, and especially in Jesus' day, a true shepherd, a good shepherd, values nothing more than his sheep. We read a story about David. The Bible tells us that he protected his flock of sheep from both a bear and a lion. That is unbelievable. I mean, he's risking his life to protect a dumb little sheep. The only reason for it, the only reason why he's willing to suffer and to sacrifice, is because he sees the value of that single sheep. Now, compassion is birth. It's the result of you and me having an accurate value assessment of humanity. If we know the worth of humanity, our hearts will be birthed. It will not be easy to walk away from someone who's dealing with pain. It demands of us to step in, to suffer with, to have compassion, to suffer with those around us. Because God has placed the ultimate value statement about humanity, the same level as his son. Imagine a world, imagine a world with me for a moment, where there's not just a lot of concern about the problems in the world, but way more people diving in with a heart full of compassion. Love, exhibiting the glory of God, putting themselves in that mess and saying, I am willing to sacrifice to see this change. Second move God shows us 
about loving and loving in his way is to move from a place of comfort to calling. You see, in the solution that the disciples give here, it's clear to see that they're busy making their decisions from a place of comfort. You see it here in verse 36. They come to Jesus. Problem, Jesus. Here's the solution. Send the people away so every single one of them can go and buy food and look after themselves. Now, that seems like a very smart idea. However, it's also a very selfish idea because it's all focused on way too difficult for me. It asks me way too much to give. Um, it's, it's the comfortable one. It's the one that's the easiest route out. Yet, Jesus doesn't let them go off the hook so quickly. You know, Jesus makes his decisions based on his calling. And it's in that moment that he's saying, I'm going to teach you guys something. I want to show my disciples what I have been called to do and how I'm calling you to do the same. You see, Jesus made his decisions based on the calling of God over his life. He knew he was the Messiah. He was the one sent to come and deal not just with the problem that day of feeding 5,000 people, but with the greatest problem humanity would ever face, sin, death. And Jesus would be the one that provides for that. He is the bread of life. He would come and restore the consequences. He come deal with the consequences of sin and put us back into a place with an abundance of life. That's the plan. That's what he's busy with. You see, love is the result of an accurate understanding of our calling. What do I mean by this? Well, we've said God created you and me to exhibit his glory. He, that's the purpose. That's his created purpose and his call, his invitation for you and me. We were not created to be a doctor or a policeman or uh, <clears throat> a teacher or whatever it may be. All of those are just areas that God is calling you to. He's putting you in that space to exhibit his glory, to make a decision based on the calling that he's given you. You see, when you're a child of God, he calls you to show the world and represent his family, represent him well in that moment. And here's the crux of the moment. It's because God is love. The best way for you and me to exhibit his glory in all of those areas, all of our occupations and your workplace and your family and your friends would be to love, to ask the question, why am I here? And the answer is to love, to love like God loves. I'm not here for my comfort. I'm not here to make life nice for me. I'm here because God called me to love and show his glory. That's the second move. And then lastly, our third move that Jesus takes his disciples on, has is redefining their view of what does it mean to love the people around you. He goes as follows. He moves them from consume to contribute. You see, in the story in the beginning, this, the disciples, you see, right at the end, when Jesus starts challenging them, they are concerned, and Jesus challenges them. He says, listen here, guys, I'm calling you. You go and contribute. You bring bread. Bring whatever you have. And then there's this conversation about money, resources. They're super concerned and really worried about how much resources 
this problem will consume. That's the conversation. They said to him, Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend so much money just on bread alone? Is that, is that your plan? Do you think this is the best decision to make? I don't think this is a good move to consume. You see, they're coming to Jesus with the scarcity mentality. We don't have enough, Jesus. And are you really sure we should use whatever we have to feed this amount? This is impossible. We don't have the capacity to address the problem. And then Jesus steps in and he asks them this question. Moves them. Moves them from the place where they're worried about what will be consumed to a place of what can they contribute. And he says the following. I love it. He's so much more interested in their contribution. So he asks them the following question, verse 38. He says, how many loaves do you have? And then he says, go and see. You see, Jesus makes this demand on his followers, on his disciples. To ask not, what will it take? But rather ask, what can I give? To live in a place where I am more convinced of what God has given me, that will be enough if it is in his hands. To address the needs that he's calling me to address when I exhibit his glory by loving the world and the people around me. That's the challenge God puts out and Jesus put out that day to his disciples. And he's putting it out to you and to me. Right there where we're sitting today. And I pray that as you start considering and thinking about this moment in your life, that you will not be a victim of scarcity, not having enough. But that you will live victorious because you are loved. You see, God defines love in this way. Love always gives. It never asks, what can I get? It always asks, what do I have to give? I love the way John puts it in John chapter 3, verse 16. He says it so well. I think this is probably one of the most famous verses. And it's such a beautiful definition of love. It says, for God so loved the world. This is how we love the world. That he gave. Love gives. We are called to love, to love God, to love our neighbor. And this is probably and clearly the best expression of God's glory in our city. Now just a little note. Jesus knew that the disciples did not have enough to give. He knew that all of their effort would not be enough to provide for the problem that they faced that day. Yet, he still asked them to take a step of faith and trust him. And then, a miracle happened. I wonder where you are today. I wonder what area of your life are you trusting God for? What problems are you facing? And all that you've been looking at is, I don't have enough. God, my comfort's being stolen from me. God, I'm really concerned about this. God, this is going to consume too much of my resources. Why not today? Allow God's love to stir faith in your heart <laughs> and see that he has compassion over your life. He will intervene. He's with you in this moment. 
He's calling you to contribute, to not just to consume. He's asking you, what do you have to bring? What are the two fishes and the five loaves that you can put in his hand? And it will change everything. Let's pray. Father, today as we're thinking about this and we're pondering and we're allowing your spirit to move in our hearts, when we think about love, love that is the greatest, the greatest of them all, Love that is the way we exhibit God's glory, your glory. Show the world your heart in the best way. God, I want to pray and I want to ask that wherever there might be people listening to this, whose hearts are burdened with great problems, mountains before them, a lot of impossible tasks that stands before them. Father, I come and pray that they would not be overwhelmed by their circumstances. But God, that they would come to you with the little that they have. Holy Spirit, make us aware of what we have. Help us to bring that to you, Jesus, so that you can turn the little and provide for the many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today, guys, we are... At that point, we've been building up over a few <clears throat> weeks now to our generosity fund. And our generosity fund is actually about what we've preached today. It's about showing compassion to the city. It's about living out the calling God has for us as a family, as a church, to exhibit his glory, to show his generosity and his love to the city and it's also a moment where we decide to be practical and not just say what we don't have, but look at what do we have. What do we have to contribute? What can we bring? What are those two fishes and maybe five loaves that God has entrusted you with to sow together with this Doxadeo family into the city of Bloemfontein to be a blessing? And we've been looking at places that God has entrusted us to sow into. And when we're looking at next year, We've made some sums and we've prayed about it and we're trusting God to get things done in this city next year for 1.3 million rand. That's the amount of money that we're trusting God to continue being a blessing in the areas that God has opened up spaces and some new spaces that I'll be sharing just now that we're really trusting God for in the future as well. Now, as I always do, when I say we need 1.3 million if you do have the money, please give me a call or just let me know by sending it to lorraine.marie at doxadeo.org and then we sort it. I'll let everybody know tomorrow we're good. So if that is you, please let us know as quickly as possible. But usually when we do the ask, we don't have hands going up so quickly when it comes to that amount of money. And it's quite a big sum. But you know what? When we take that amount and we ask 361 people, to set aside per month only 300 rand, then we're at our target. Then we're there. Can you believe that? Only 300 rand. Now, I don't know about you. I have a family of four. And when we do a nice Kentucky takeout for us as a family, that's about the sum of money that we end up with. So what are we asking? We're asking people to give up maybe a takeaway for a family of four and Say, I'm going to set aside that one takeaway instead of taking two months. I'm going to do one, and I'm going to give that one, and I sow it into the family. 
This is a above my tithes commitment, and that's the ask and the appeal and the opportunity that we have to contribute. Now, you might be sitting there and you might be saying, well, Lorraine, I don't have a family of four. I'm a student and I wouldn't be able to do that. And maybe that's the case. Maybe you can't do 300 rand. Maybe you can do only uh, 150 rand. And that's what you can bring. And, and that might be your fish and your loaves. And I want to encourage you to do so, to consider doing that. And then I also know there are people listening and knowing that you can do far more than just 300 rand. And I know of people that's contributing to this fund up to more than three, four, five thousand 5,000 rand per month that they're giving because they have the capacity and they want to sow into this city. Whatever the case may be, I want to invite you to pray about this, to go and look at what you have, and then to give towards this fund that's been reaching this city and blessing this city in so many different ways. If you want to know more about these ways, maybe you've missed our build-up to generosity, you can click on the link. There will be a link in the description that takes you to the website. And on this website, you will also find a form, and it will help you to fill in a debit order. And we please ask people to fill in a debit order for this venture due to the fact that we have youth workers that are working in our schools and in our tree processes and guys in some of these areas whose salaries are being paid. So we want to give them salary security for next year as well. So therefore, the reason with a debit order, but it's a step-by-step -step and you can fill it up in there and you'll see all of the guided information as well. Our debit orders usually run from December of this year to November next year. So if you want to sign it up for that space and time, you may do so. And then... Before I'm going to pray with you for this moment and just bring your heart before God and we make a decision on this, I want to tell you just about two new ventures that we're very excited about. And this is faith that's birthed in our heart. So this is not just feedback and um, that what God has been doing, but we're trusting God for more, to be more generous, to be a greater blessing in this city. And as most of you guys might know, if you're looking at this video right now, you'll, you're experiencing a bit of that. But a few, uh, last year, we planted an online church. And um, we are seeing a lot of amazing returns with this. And we are really excited. And we're experiencing God challenging us to con continue sowing into this online community. And uh, for that to happen, we obviously need a little bit more um, <clears throat> gear and stuff. And as you can see, I'm standing in some of the stuff that we've already been doing to see this happen. But we're trusting God for more. And we need more people to come in and do editing work and so on and so forth. So that's what area that we're really trusting God for because we're seeing an exponential growth and an opportunity for impact through this. And then second new venture, and this is probably new news to many of us, but as a family, we've been dreaming for quite some time to see another campus in Doxodeo Bloemfontein. And God has put faith in our hearts to take a first step. In the midst of this pandemic, we want to take a first step towards this. And we want to build up to planning a campus, a Doxadeo campus, like just like Doxadeo Central, Doxadeo Fichard Park. We want to plant another campus in this city. And we want to reach the north of Bloemfontein. So we have been gearing up with a north community and we've been getting people together and we're starting up a community of people and trusting God to plant by the end of 2022, within that year, a campus, if God willing. And for this to happen, 
There's obviously resources and stuff that we're going to be needing to do. And we're really excited to saying that as generosity, we want to sow into the city to see another life-giving church reach the lost, love those that are filled with pain and restore what's broken in this city. So with all of that being said, I want to encourage you, you can click on the link below. You'll find it there, taking you to the debit order. But before we go any further, let's pray together and bring this moment before God. Father, thank you for the privilege to exhibit your glory in probably one of the most amazing ways, to show generosity to this city, to be a blessing. And God, I pray that just as you gave up everything, that you would come and work in our hearts and guide us, Holy Spirit, to consider what we need to give up so that your love can increase and your glory can be more prevalent in this city and that the world will know that Jesus is Lord and that he loves every single one that's on this planet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.